Hi, podcast listeners, and welcome back to another episode of The Property Management Show with Brittany and Marie. Today, we will be interviewing Eric from SD Real Estate and Property Management. He will be diving into 1031 exchanges and will be talking to us about what property managers can do to use this information to improve and grow their property management businesses, even if they're not selling real estate. So let's get started. This episode is sponsored by PM Growth Summit 2020 and Seacoast Commerce Bank, our conference partner. Seacoast is the preferred bank for property management trust accounts as they specialize in the compliance on these accounts and can often provide credits that can help you offset your third-party invoices. Call the trust account specialist Allison DeSaro for more information at 619-988-6708. So I'm Eric Hoagland. I'm with uh, SD Real Estate and Property Management. And um, let's see, I didn't always do this. I was uh, I was a merchant sailor before this, and in the Navy, and and then uh, travel and things took me away from family too much. And my wife's family had this beautiful property management and real estate business since 1946. So. Three, gen- three generations um, now. Um, in fact, my kids are six generations in our little town of Benicia. Um, and I had this great golden opportunity to stay home, raise kids, and do something. And I thought, what do I know about real estate? I, I don't know. So I had to learn all this stuff. Uh, just because you get your license doesn't mean you actually know right. anything about real estate. And I learned all this stuff. And, I, and I'm pretty dedicated when I'm into something. I get into it. And I realized that whether I'm selling widgets or homes or rental property or whatever, it is still sales. It's all the same. Um, The moving parts are a little different. And what I found was all these talks of escrows and, uh, you know, uh, reports and things like that. It all sounded very scary to me, even my own first house. And I was a licensed agent. I thought, I have no idea what they're talking about with all this stuff. And, if I felt that way, I thought, how do my clients feel? How do my owners feel that have, maybe they inherited their property from their parents and now they've, they've got this asset, what do I do with it? Um, so my whole mission has always been to demystify that for my owners and for my clients and just kinda, and I, my, my standard dis- disclosure is if I speak realtor, we got a problem. You gotta stop me so that we can talk about it so that's that's who I am I'm I've got I'm a licensed real estate broker and we manage about just shy of 300 properties and we I don't know we do 15 or 20 million in sales every year so it's uh we're a what we would call a medium to small company but we're a niche boutique company in the Benicia area so that's awesome yeah (laughs) well thank you for that I really like the demystifying things because I feel like it's very easy to get caught up in crazy verbiage and things like that and it's it gets confusing acronyms and uh those types of things I um coming from the military everything's an acronym and so it when I got the acronym thing in the real estate thing I was like oh this is great I'll learn the acronyms and everybody will because in the military everybody knows the acronyms and then you start saying them to real people and they look at you like you're crazy. What are you talking about? <laughs> a TDS. What is a TDS? Oh, it's a transfer disclosure statement. 
Okay, what is that? Okay, yeah. well, that's when yeah, you yeah, tell yeah. me all about your house. Okay, then okay, I can deal with that. So, yeah, that, yeah. that's... Taking it to basics. Yeah. yeah. And so that actually is a perfect segue for why we have you here today as our guest. Um, so, you know, the term 1031 exchange... It's something that gets thrown out a lot. It's something everyone is aware exists, but there's most a lot people. most people. Yeah, but in the real estate industry. Hopefully. Yeah, ho- hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, um, again, there's a lot of mystery, right, that surrounds it. As you mentioned um, earlier when we were talking, um, it used to be called Starker Exchange um, and also Like Kind Exchange. Um, and so, can you give us like a, a quick explanation? in terms of like what it is exactly? Yeah, it's it's not as complicated as people think it is. And what it is, it's a way to defer taxes. That's it's 1031 is a tax code. So that's what scares people right off the bat. They're like, oh, IRS, we're in trouble now. Right. So, um, and so what it is, it's a way to take gains that you've, capital gains, money that you've earned on the property. So you bought a property for 100,000, now you're selling it for 200,000. There's $100,000 worth of gain that's taxable. It's a way to take that gain and buy another like property. And that's where people get really confused. So they're they're selling their condo in uh, 123 Jump Street and now they want to buy a fourplex and they think well that's not a like exchange it absolutely is a like exchange it's income property for income property so and you can get really creative with it we there was a time back in the days when everybody wanted a winery and so people were selling their rental properties and buying vineyards you can do that it's income property for income property so um all it is, all a 1031 exchange really is, is you take the money, you don't ever get it. That's the big part. That's the no-no. So this escrow closes, the $100,000 gain of the previous example would then move into what is called an exchange holding company. And they charge you some fees to do that, to hold it. It's basically a different escrow company. They hold that money while you go and find another piece of property to buy. When you purchase that property, the money then goes directly from that holding, that that escrow company, to the escrow of the purchase, and then you close on it, and now you own another property and you haven't paid capital gains. You've only paid the fees associated with moving that money around. It's a really great way to do things. Where it gets, complicated is where you know like any tax code is where people say well I have a hundred thousand dollars but I want to spend I only want to put seventy thousand of that tax deferred to the exchange and I want to keep thirty thousand for me you can do that too that's called boot which is another one of those funny words that uh, but you is that an acronym I probably I don't know (laughs) but it is a it is a, a way for you to take some money out and then you just pay your gains on that amount only. Okay. So it's it's not nearly as mystical and crazy as some people think. But if you don't know the rules, you can get yourself into trouble relatively quickly. There are a lot of things like um, from the time you close escrow on the house that you're selling or the fourplex or the apartment building you're selling, 
you have 45 days to designate up to three different properties for the next purchase. And people go, oh, that sounds like I'm really in. You don't have to close on any of those properties. That's just, they wanna know that you're serious and that you're moving towards. You may make offers on three properties and never get any of them accepted. Then you just designate some more properties. The big time clock is you have 180 days to close an escrow. So you got basically six months after that, you can't just leave that money over there indefinitely. You, you're gonna have some problems with the, uh, that's where you get your tax guy involved and work on that. But it's really, uh, it's a great way for people to stay in the business. What was happening before was I would sell my house and I'd really wanna buy a fourplex, but the taxes were so much, by the time I was done paying my taxes on it, I really didn't have enough money left over to upgrade to that fourplex or that eightplex or that 16 unit apartment. And so, and it was all going to, to Uncle Sam. Uncle Sam still wants that money. Don't get me wrong. They're going to get it down. the When you finally liquidate and you're getting out of the business of having income property, they, that's when they're going to get their, their cut. But if you never liquidate, if you never liquidate, um, you're going to, you're going to just pay your regular taxes that you would pay based on the income generated from that, but not the gain on the property. And is that the same if somebody inherits a property? Yes, it is. The, the beauty of inheritance, at least currently under the, remember everything. I don't know when you're listening to this podcast, if you're listening to this a few years from now and they've changed all the codes, I'm going to look like an idiot. But as of right now, as of right now, at least in California, what will happen is, is when say your parents owned a, a fourplex on the date they died and you inherited that fourplex, you get what's called a stepped up basis. So they bought that fourplex in 1962 for $12,000. Now it's worth a million dollars. You're going, uh-oh, I have to pay taxes on that gain? That's going to be a pretty big bill. Well, what, what happens is, is they get a stepped up basis. You get this as the inheritor, a stepped up basis. So now it's worth a million. So from the date of death, if it was worth a million, now your clock starts ticking from there at a million bucks. So if you held on for two years and now it's worth a million two, your gain is only 200,000. It's not from 12,000 to a million two. So it does, there is a resetting of the, um, of the basis. What people often forget though, and this is the, this is the, especially with income property, they take advantage of tax breaks while they own investment property, right? So they put a new roof on and they depreciate the cost of that roof over time. They put in carpet and they depreciate their cost of that roof. Well, what does that mean when you depreciate the cost? Well, what it means to the IRS is you're ticking away at your basis. So let's start back at our, our $100,000 investment again. If over time you bought it for $100,000, that was your basis. And if over time you had the time that you've owned the property, you had taken $50,000 of depreciation from that. Your basis is no longer 100,000. Your basis is now $50,000. You've you've decreased your basis to 50,000. Now the gain on the sale will be from 50,000 to whatever it's worth at the time of sale. So 
the government's not silly. They want their money back. So if they're going to give you a break on one end, they're going to get you on the other. The exchange allows you to defer that and defer that and defer that as long as you can as you move forward. Um, for most people, and I, and I really mean most people, uh, the 1031 exchange will be something they might do once or twice in their life. And I'm talking about investors. There are big investment companies that are constant. They have an exchange going at all times. They also have staff attorneys and staff right. accounting. But for the average person that hires a realtor to help them sell their home and buy a next one, this is a, this is a seemingly complicated process that really is not, it's not much more than where, where the money goes in between. So, so we're, we're I just talked myself like, out of a job, I think, because I, I, I go. Oh, should we? Should we start? We should. Let's do this. <laughs> Let's start a ten thirty one exchange business. Uh, no, you could. You could. You could have your own their exchange uh, company where you just take money and hold it for people. You you very well could do that. There's probably some. I don't know anything about it, but you'd have to. You'd have to. Um, uh, one of the things that people when they hire a realtor to do things, right? They, they want to know, does the agent know what I don't know? That's uh, important to know. Um, this is not incredibly complicated. That doesn't mean that every agent knows how to do that. So it is a question you should ask your agent that you're hiring to do this kind of work for you. Do you understand the process? Um, I, the worst thing you want to have happen is at the end of an escrow, they go, oh, yeah, aren't we supposed to do one of those uh, 1031 things? And it's a little late at this point. You're closing escrow. You might blow up the deal because now you have to go. It has to be disclosed to the buyer. Itself, you know, so there's some things that need to happen that your agent should just be doing along the way. But for the average investor, it's understanding the process, understanding their limitations, and actually understanding the benefits of doing it. There are times where it doesn't makes no sense to do a 1031 exchange. You, you made, you know, a few thousand dollars on a property, the gain the you know, the capital gains on it will be equal to or less than the fees for the exchange company. And you're tied into all this buying another property and uh, maybe it's not worth it to do it, but at least run the numbers and find out. So, so really what happens is people, an investor has, let's say they have a rental property and the selling price is just crazy at the moment. So they want to make sure to get it off their hands, but they don't want to leave the business. So Correct. that's when it would be an amazing time to do a 1031 exchange. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's the dream of every investor, right? To, or every stock, or money. every stock market <laughs> investor or whatever is that, you know, they always hear that. If I had bought Apple when it was starting, right. then I would be, a, yeah, okay. Yeah, you didn't, didn't. you didn't. Right, here right, we are. right. So, um, but what a lot of people don't realize is that that house that grandma owned that you, that you inherited is Apple stock, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. You just have a piece of property that's given to you, paid off, that is an income generator. And a lot of people think, well, I'll just sell it and take the money and then I'm going to somehow invest it because I'm so smart. Right. A lot of people are not that savvy at investing in other avenues, but real estate is one of those things. If you buy and hold it, you're going to do well. I mean, 
be wary of the realtor that doesn't own any property themselves because do they really believe in what they're they're selling to you um so the the richest people i've ever met and i haven't met very many rich people to be honest with you but the richest people i've ever met have been guys that you would never think were particularly wealthy but they bought a home and they paid it off and then they bought a rental property and they paid it off and then they bought and they show up in their pickup and their flannel shirt and they they're wonderful owners to manage for because they're down-to-earth people and then you come to find out that they've got millions of dollars in rental portfolio just yeah. generating income for them every you know so it's a great way to do it if you can do it the problem that happened maybe in 2005678 was everybody decided wow I can be a real estate mogul. I'm gonna buy all these properties. I can't go wrong. Well, the truth is, they did. If they had held on to them, they wouldn't have gone wrong. Yeah. They lost a lot of money on paper, and they freaked out, and they they abandoned, they abandoned their, their homes and moved yeah. on. Some, for for good reason, had to get out of it, but others were just well. It's if I bought it for three hundred thousand and it's only worth a hundred now, why would I? Why would I continue to pay on it? Well, the reason why is now it's worth 500000 yeah. So if you had just done yeah. those things, it. you might have made it. We had a lot of reluctant landlords during that time. Um, hey, I can't sell my house for what I owe, so please manage it for me. Um, we were happy to help those people through that time. And then when the market did come back, they were able to get out of the, the business of uh, managing property. It's not for everybody. Uh, it, it's not any more than the stock market is for anybody or, uh, you know, uh, investing in commodities is for anybody. Um, if you, you should do what you understand, yeah. I think it's important. Yeah, so I have a question. To our listeners who may not focus on real estate sales and who primarily, you know, focus on property management, how would you say 1031 exchanges can help them grow their portfolios? Oh, it's a it's a great um, it's a great opportunity because the property manager has probably one of the more unique positions uh, in the uh, customer client relationship world. In that, there's built in trust between the owner and their manager, or there should be right. Um, the ma- the manager is is doing the day to day things for that owner. They're managing their risk. I mean, it's it's not an easy job to manage property, not at all. And to me, a property manager is already probably a cut above the average just real estate salesperson because they have to understand a bigger slice. It doesn't mean they're better people or better negotiators or anything, but they have to understand the market a little better by nature to do that. So if they don't want to sell property and there's many, many management companies that, that it's a, it's a business model. Hey, I keep your realtor. I'm here to manage your property. They have that unique ability to have that owner's ear and to be able to add value added services to them. So they can say, Hey, look, you know, I see that you got this fourplex over here and we've had nothing but trouble with, we got to get a, we got a roof coming. We've got um, a foundation thing that's happening. It's, you know, why don't we, the market seems pretty good right now. Why don't we look at getting that property sold, 
you do an exchange, we'll find you a eight plex that's newer and we'll, we'll, we'll run the numbers for you on the back end. You can have your agent, your realtor help you with the sale and the purchase of the other one, but don't do anything until I, the property manager, the expert in the field can go talk to you and look at all the documents and see, is this a good investment and really run the numbers for you. Believe me, the realtor is going to love you as the property manager for making them look good by, by taking the pressure off of them having to run those numbers. If they don't manage properties, they're looking at rents and they're looking at, uh, oh boy, I don't know, is, is that a good rent? I don't know if it's a good rent. Um, is there room to move up in that rent or are we already at the top? What does the deferred maintenance look like? A property manager is gonna have a very different idea of what, how important deferred maintenance is than maybe a realtor does. And so uh, just a, a sales broker, when I say a realtor, a sales broker. So it's a great opportunity for you to give a service to your, and this is the best part, you just sold a fourplex with four doors, and now they have an eightplex with eight doors, and now you're, as, as for, for selfish purposes, now you've expanded your own portfolio. And it's a newer property. It's a newer property. And you know what, everybody wins. That's the biggest thing, is if you, where I find people fall, is when they are looking at their bottom line and not their client's bottom line. When they're looking at the number of doors they might have at the end and not their clients. And you know, the truth be told is, the people that would be looking at their own bottom line don't generally have their client's ear anyway. So any information they're given that owner may be suspect to begin with the vast majority of property managers that I've associated with and I've met all over the country, they're, they're screaming, please talk to me. Please ask me questions. I don't even wanna, I, 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 it's, not, it's not that I want to make a dime on it or whatever, I want you to be a, a good customer for a long, long time. And I think that's what sometimes uh, they're maybe shy. They think I'd, maybe I shouldn't. Um, I don't do sales, so maybe I shouldn't reach out to this owner. Absolutely reach out to the owner. Please, please, please reach out to the owner. You're the trusted uh, expert in the field. Do you really want your owner relying on the realtor who's just looking for the one-time commission? They may like their client. That's a real disparaging remark, but re reality is they're gonna do one sale and then that owner's gonna own that building for 20 years you're going to be managing it. Wouldn't you have liked to have had a, yeah. a part in that? Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's good. Yeah. So you mentioned, um, you mentioned kind of uh, maintenance being an indicator or like a lot of costs associated with the property being a good trigger to say, Hey, maybe you should consider buying a different property and doing an exchange. What are some other um, flags that pop up that would be kind of the starting point to a conversation like that? Well, I mean, I think uh, there's two reasons an investor should buy any property. I think these are the first two questions. This is the very first question any investor should ask themselves. Am I buying this for, I wish I had like a Glenn Beck chalkboard and I could. Ah, we should have put you on this I side. Wait, this is a whiteboard wall. No, no, no. So <laughs> am, I, am I buying this property for cash flow? So I'm gonna make some amount of money every month 
or am I buying this property for equity? So uh, a real stark example is, is I'm buying a apartment complex in the inner city, in an area that I don't live, but I know that I'm gonna make five grand a month on that property and my, my total out the door per month is $2,000, so I've got $3,000 in my pocket every month. That's a cash flow decision. It's kind of an easy one, right? Versus I'm buying a, a home on the beach in San Diego. It's incredibly, it's priced incredibly low right now. I've got all these vendors that work on my apartment complex that I can hire to come out and fix that thing up. I'll lease it out for a number of years and then I'll sell it. And that thing I bought it for 600,000 is gonna be worth 1.2 million in a few years. And I don't really care if I can't get the amount of money per month on that. I'll take the loss because I'm making up for it in the gain on the equity. Now, the beauty, beauty of real estate is if you hold something long enough, those lines cross and you get both, right? right. Yeah. But that's not always the decision that you're planning on holding it for a long time. So you're, your first question should be to yourself, am I buying this for cash flow or am I buying this for equity? And you should look at every deal that way. I mean, just because you're normally a cash flow guy doesn't mean that you can't also invest in an equity position somewhere else. And it doesn't mean that if you're usually an equity position person that you can't look at this other thing and do cash flow. Um, people put all kinds of limitations on themselves and that's okay. I think you should. You should put limitations on yourself that keep you in comfortable and, and safe and all those things. But I also think that you don't have to buy a building or a, a, a home that is a place that you necessarily want to live. You do need to buy one that you understand the economics of it, and you do need to buy one that you can be responsible as a landlord for to take care of those people. Because look, you, ultimately you've got people living there and you, you are responsible for giving them a nice, clean, safe environment to live in. And if, if you're gonna do that, it doesn't matter if it's in Detroit or in Texas or in California or in Hawaii. It, as long as the numbers work for you and you are comfortable with it. So th that's question number one, I would ask. Uh, the, obviously, maintenance is a, is a big one. Um, look, it, is that property area, is that particular area an area of growth economically, uh, population-wise, whatever, or is it an area in decline? So here's the, here's the nightmare scenario that happened in the old days. We used to have, it was the running joke in my property management group was the sophisticated California investor. For those that can't see me on camera, I'm using my <laughs> Sophisticated California investor. So they were selling their million dollar home and they were buying a home in New Mexico or Nevada or Phoenix, Arizona or someplace like that. And they said, boy, for that million dollar home, I bought three houses down in Phoenix. What they didn't realize was the only people that were renting those houses were the guys that were building those houses. And when they finally built out the houses, they had a glut of homes for rent and nobody to rent them. Now, of course, you hold on to it long enough and that works itself out. But then they went belly up because now they had three homes with, with 
three sets of taxes and all that other stuff and no tenants. And the amount of money they thought they were getting before is now half or a third less. And they go, boy, I, I guess I made a bad decision. So understand the market you're buying in. And that's where a property manager is huge, even if they're not your sales representative. It's huge because they can say, look, I know you haven't looked out here in um, this little town that's right over here and it seems kind of small, but um, Google just decided they're going to move a headquarters out there. That would be information you might want to know. I think of Reno. Mm -hmm. yeah. Tesla moved to Reno. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't you have liked to have owned some property around Reno before Tesla came there? That would have been a nice uh, thing to know. So there's that's another one. Maybe is the is the is the area growing or that's or, really good. Yeah. Um, and then the other one is I think the the uh, the last one I would say is how long are you planning to do this? Because knowing your exit strategy is also important, right? Um, the last thing you want to do is buy buy into a say a place that has rent control where you can't end up raising rents for very long and then you want to turn around and sell that in the next five years and you haven't had enough turnover to get any of the rents to any position that is now that person buying it is inheriting a rent control building they're going to say well the, the value isn't there i can pay you this not what you thought you were going to get so time is the is the other piece so where is it the time frame that you want to be involved in this venture what kind of maintenance and taxes and the other costs that are involved and then is this something you is is it do i want to be in residential management or do i want to I, I really had my time in residential and i don't want to do the same where i want to buy some commercial suites because you can do that too and now that's a different tenant base um, maybe I want to start going into triple net leases where I don't have to do maintenance as much or those are things to think about too. Um, so I think the, I think people make a lot of decisions sometimes without actually asking the right questions before they do it. And then they're reactionary for the rest of their time. It would be nice to have kind of th at least thought those things through. You might change your name, mind on it, but at least have thought a couple of those items through before you made the purchase might been maybe a good idea yeah a lot of money maybe yeah. maybe probably a good the idea. largest purchase you're ever going to yeah. make and you might want to ask some questions before you make it but uh, being um so my, my uh my advice to people is is not analysis paralysis but at least asking the questions and getting some gut feelings about what that looks like and maybe calling in some experts and having a team of experts to do that. Hey, you got your property manager involved, great. You got your real estate broker, if that's a different person, great. You got your tax guy involved, pretty important guy. Have him, maybe your attorney. Do you wanna have an LLC do this or do you wanna do it as yourself? Do you, do you have a trust in place? So there, it can start, the, the, the team expands the more you do this and you should have a team. Yeah, so that's really interesting um, because I feel like it's so tempting to to just focus or like um, just be comfortable with like, oh, I manage properties. Like I don't really like selling properties. So why would I need to understand that? But um, to your point, right? Investors and 
just regular homeowners need a team to help them make the right decisions. And so I think as a property manager, if you position yourself as a collaborative you know, person who is out there to make you successful as, you know, a property owner, as an investor, I think the business would come and then it plus points, right? Like you may not do 1031 exchanges yourself. You may not, you know, uh, do the buying and selling, but if you understand how it works, it just makes the owner feel more comfortable. Oh, for sure. Well, there's also money to be made there. Let's be honest. If I'm a property manager, I don't do real estate brokerage. I don't sell. But I have a group of owners that do buy and sell. I might have some interviews with some of the best brokers in the area and say, guess what? If you want some pretty great business, I'd be willing to give that to you for a commission of uh, referral fee. But here's the deal. Now you're, I need you to give top quality. This is the kind of level of service I give my client. This is what I would expect from you. Um, that type of collaborative uh, venture is a win for everybody. It's a win for the broker. It's a win for the property. It's certainly a win for the customer. Um, same thing with your, I mean, you wouldn't say to an, an owner, uh, you got a pipe broken, call some plumber somewhere and figure out how to fix it. You would never do that. You would say, Hey, these are the best plumbers in the area and I've got a good deal with them and I'm going to. But you're willing to say, go, just go get an agent and sell your house? That's to me, is insane. You're the one that should be telling them, hey, look, I don't do this sales stuff, but you know who does? Joe Schmo, Sally down the street, these, they're great. Not, they're not just good, they're the best in the business. And guess what, I, I'm gonna get you a meeting with them because they're gonna help you do this. And now you've created a, well, you certainly made that broker pretty happy down the street and they're going to be happy to pay you your commission on that. Hopefully you've done an exchange and maybe got at least the same amount of rental property or if not more, maybe it's less, I don't know, but maybe it's a higher price, less. What if they sold a duplex and bought a big house and the big house brings in way more rent per month? I don't know, but I don't think that's ever been, in my experience, my bottom line has never been the deciding factor on whether I help a client or not. But what I have found is that the more I help a client, the better my bottom line. So I think property managers know that intrinsically. They sometimes are just quiet about it, and I don't think they should be. Look, if, you're, if your client, your property owner, your tenant for that matter, you may be the only person in that area that they've ever talked to. Yeah. I mean, it happens to me all the time. We have a brand new tenant move into the area and they get their lease package and their keys and you can tell they have some questions and they, they don't know what they are. And you know, I've got my staff trained. They're like, what can we do? Well, I don't, I'm supposed to go to this fancy dinner with my husband next week and uh, I, I don't even know where to get my hair done. Let me make you an appointment at this place today. She'll take care of you. That goes miles because six years from now, that tenant's going to come in and say, but I really, I, I really like some help buying a property and I want you to manage it. You helped me with my hair. Had nothing to do with real estate. Had nothing, nothing, nothing to do with it. And I think property managers are really good at what they do and they're really bad at telling people about it. 
as a general, I'm guilty, guilty as charged uh, doing that. Yeah. So your advice is almost make sure to work more on the relationship aspect because that's what's going to be. Yeah, it's everything. Yeah, it's, it's everything. everything. The, the one thing that property, ma- the one sin of every property manager, myself included, is things are going well. The property is fine. My owner thinks that every time he hears from me, it's a bad Sometimes a call that just says, hey, everything's great. Just wanted to touch base. Wanted to let you know, hey, I was thinking about this proactively. There's an, a, there's an apartment complex that's going to be coming up down the road. I don't know if you're interested in it or not. Um, maybe you want to expand your portfolio. I don't know. Uh, I noticed that you own this one outright. Um, maybe you can get a loan against that to buy the other one. I don't know. Then you'd have eight units instead of four you know these are the questions and they may say no i'm not ready to do that but when the back of their head they're thinking you know what my manager was thinking about me and they 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 had an opportunity that they saw come in their lap which they'll often see before the real estate person does or anybody else and next time you know if their situation changes so like hey you know i got this like big promotion and i'm actually ready to invest they don't know anyone else to call. <laughs> That's yeah. right. You're the first. You should be their first thought. Um, the other one is this, and this is the this is the funny thing that, that that property managers forget is you have a lot of different owners with a lot of different personalities, and some are really easy to work with, and some are not so easy to work with. What if you had a owner that was not so easy to work with, but they were good enough to keep your business right? And they're getting out of the business. Wouldn't I want to call the four or five people that I love to work with and say, hey, there's an opportunity here. You get to keep us. We're already managing the property. Wouldn't that be a nice way to try to keep some portfolio to yourself? Also, uh, get some economy for the for your office because now you don't have the pain in the rear owner. You have the one that you really like. Um, not that I, we like all of our customers at ST real estate. I uh, know <laughs> we do, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, that's, it's came across wrong, but wouldn't you want to be able to do that? I think we're just altogether too quiet about things and, and, uh, and empower your staff also to have conversations with your owners and tenants too, maybe not about decision-making stuff, but about the things that are important to them at the time that I need a haircut. Where do I get uh, a suit pressed? Because I don't know the dry cleaner is. It doesn't have to be property related at all, at all. You know, it sounds simple, but it's really hard. And the most simple things in life are always really hard because you have to execute. You have to do it over and over and over because you can be really nice to somebody one day, and if you're not consistently nice to them, you know what they think of you? You're a jerk. They don't remember that you were nice to them last Wednesday. So if you're consistently good to people, I think, and, and good to yourself. Too many people, I go to conferences and I hear people sit down and they, they say, this, this business is, is beating me up. And I think, yeah, it can be, it can be really rough. And my, my first thing I always say to people is, have you reached out to some people that are in your portfolio, in your world, that think you're doing a great job? Because maybe you just need to hear them say that. Maybe for your own health, you needed to hear that today. 
and just tell them, hey, your property's doing great. I wanted to reach out and talk to you a little bit today, see how things are going. Is there anything going on that you might have on the horizon? And they might say, you know what? My kid's graduating from college now, and uh, we were kind of holding on to that house thinking he was going to move back home to it. But now he's basically told me he's moving to the East Coast. That house is not really going to be a big deal for us anymore. We're thinking we might want to sell that. That's an opportunity for you to say, well, you know, what if what if you use this and did an exchange and you bought a house in New York and uh, you bought a duplex and your son moved into one side and you got some income on the other side? And they, what? Really? You could help me do that? Yeah, I could help you do that. Well, and it's so funny because I it, that you mentioned that because I feel like I hear so many stories, not as much recently, but a couple years ago about so many people selling their rental properties and not realizing that their property managers could help them. And oh, it, yeah. at that point, it was too late. They were just calling saying, hey, I've sold my property. Um, we're not going to be working with you anymore. But if you're proactive about it like oh, yeah. that... Well, I mean, if you are selling property, which is the other secret agent um, thing, you know, people are secret agents and, and, uh, and you get the call and they're all excited. Hey, I sold, uh, I'm, I'm selling the property or I bought a new property down the street and I want you to manage it. And you go, I could have helped you buy that. Really? You could have. Yeah. I didn't know you did sales. Oh yeah, I do. So there's, there's two sides that coin. The other one is the nightmare conversation that you have. I, I have it all too regularly, where somebody is getting into investment property for the first time, they hired their agent, they bought the house, their agent said, you can get three grand a month for this, and they come into your office and they sit down and they, they're expecting you to say three grand plus, and you say, I think I can get 2,500, looks a pretty nice house, yeah, you're excited about it, you're like, hey, I think I can get 25, yeah, and they're like, no, 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 you don't even know what you're talking about. My agent told me three grand, I'm like, well, that's not going to happen. So now they've based their whole decision on a number that's unrealistic. Mm -hmm. And then the property sits vacant for who knows how or long. Or they lose money or they, yeah. uh, they're just unhappy. It's just a hard way to start a relationship. It's I've started a lot of relationships that way. And in the end, they end up being pretty good because I refuse to tell them lies about things. But, or, super but transparent. it's super hard because they're processing a lot of stuff. I just... I just made a mistake. Human nature is, I didn't make a mistake. You made a mistake. Somebody made a mistake. It wasn't me. And to kind of work through that is, a, uh, is good. So having relationships. Hey, look, if you're a property manager and you don't have relationships with several different agencies in your area that do sales and brokerage, you're missing, you're missing out. You should be talking to those agents. Even if you sell yourself, we do. We sell. I have it. I, it's pretty clear. I've told everybody, you bring me your client. It goes in the file. When it's time to sell, I call you. You go back. If they, I want them to go back to you for the sale. That's not why I'm in this. I'm, I'm really good at managing property for, for you. So I have agents that are top producing agents that bring me their property management clients because they know I'm going to send it back to them when it's time to sell the house. I think the biggest fear broker sales agents have is, is this guy's going to steal my business or this lady has this management business, but she's really has ulterior motive. That's not, that's not what you want out there. You need to be your best PR agent and go out and talk to these people because a lot of people are your customers and you didn't know it. Those realtors down the street are your customers too. Yeah, bringing the, you business. The restaurant tour across the street that you buy the deli sandwich for is your customer too. 
everybody's your customer. So I think the 10th, we got way off the 10th or one. No, I liked it though. <laughs> this is good. I feel like it all kind of. It does tie together. together. It's really a complicated process on the surface, but in the end, all these processes are fairly simple and streamlined. The worst thing that can happen on any of these things is that you don't ask the questions or you hear your agent talk about TDS and escrow yeah. and and you go, oh, yeah, I don't want to sound dumb, so I'm not going to ask the question. Or if you're the property manager, you don't raise your hand and say, hey, Mr. Owner, I'm here. I'm a resource for you. Because really, if I could change the name of our business, it would be real estate and risk management. That's what I, that's really what I do. I, I don't manage property. That wall is still going to be there tomorrow. I don't need to manage it. I manage people. I manage risk. I don't manage properties, roofs and floors and stuff like that. I, but nobody would know what I did. Right. So, um, like people say about pets, right? They say, oh, I don't want dogs. I'm like, you know, people do way more damage than dogs. But oh, if yeah. we didn't rent to people, it'd be pretty hard to get your rent. Right? <laughs> so they're like, oh, yeah, I didn't think. Like, yeah, but, it, but it just breaking things down to people in a way that they understand, I think, is more important than sounding smart. I, I don't know that I ever sound smart. I just want to sound clear, concise, um, hopefully speak in a language they understand because I know when I bought my first house and I was a licensed agent and I was scared to death. I just refinanced my house or yeah, it was my house, not my building. I refinanced the house and it is, you know, it's a financial look under your skirt. I mean, they are <laughs> looking at everything and you do, it is not pleasant. And usually you're using somebody you know in town, right? Your, your lender. Oh, man. Your team member. Yeah. Right? And you got to go sell them, hey, look, you know, this is how much money I make every month. This is what I owe on debts. Even if you have great credit and all that, it still feels oh, awful. Oh, yeah. It still feels awful. It's very private. It's a very private thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it, so we have to get over ourselves a bit and know what we don't know and uh, really build a team of people. And it, as a property manager, there is no better team builder than a property manager. None, bar none. It's one of the few occupations that require you to wear a thousand hats every single day and you have to interact with a lot of experts doing a lot of different things and you have to know just enough about it to be safe and, and secure that you're giving the right information to your, your owner. And so you got to know a little bit about electrician's work and you have to know a little bit about a plumber's work and you also have to know how to 1031 exchange works and you also have to know how um, um, a real estate transaction goes. So, Yeah, so to go back to like the technicalities of 1031 exchanges to help our listeners out there who mm -hmm. may now be interested in I understanding it up. Yeah. Um, so can you tell us a bit more about the different types of 1031 exchanges? I understand that, you know, we talked about the generic definition of what it is, but within it, there are also different flavors. Yeah, there you can get into the weeds pretty easily there. And I'm not sure it's a, that would might be a, that might be a podcast all I into see. I mean, what are the most there's common reverse, there's a reverse exchange where you've already bought something oh. and now you're trying to go backwards 
and sell something and put it back into it. It can be done. It has to be done in a certain, there, there, it has to happen a certain way. Um, it's not, it, and it's not just as easy as I just throw it in the thing and then send it over because now the escrow's closed, right? You've already bought the other property. Now you sold the other property and now you have money and then you really want to put towards that property. So there is a way, that's one of the, that's one of the common ones that comes up other than the standard exchange. The other big one is, is that um, people, like I think I mentioned it earlier, people think that an exchange has to be like for like, meaning it's 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 a apartment building for an apartment building, but it can be very different. I have one client that sold some property and actually bought into a hospital. Oh, so that, it can be a, that, that it different. It can be that different, but, um, that was their passion. They they wanted to to buy be a part ownership in a private hospital. They did that. You can do that. Um, yeah, your intentions have to be clear and and all that sort of thing. But and you, you got to have a good tax guy to explain that because if you are audited, they're going to want to know what you did. It's very legal to do. Um, the the big one that was going on for years was is that uh, you know let's get away from exchange for just a second to say. If you live in your own home and you're a single person, you can sell your house in California and you get you can make up to $250,000 on it as your primary residence and not pay any taxes. If you're married, you can make up to $500,000 on the on the without. Well, there are some loopholes where people have said, "Okay, I have a rental property. It's never been my it's never been my home." Maybe I'll move into it and I'll live there for a few years and then I'll sell it as my primary residence. I didn't have to do an exchange. I just changed the where I lived. I moved my address. I made it a primary residence. I'm, a, I'm getting out of the real estate investment business. I'm moving back into the house. I'm going to live there for two or five years and then I'm going to sell it as my primary residence. You can do that. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, the other thing is you don't have to live consecutive consecutive years. So you could have lived in it one year and then skipped a year and lived in it another year and then still sold it as your primary residence, even though in the between you had a, a year of rental. So you thought maybe you were going to get into the rental business and then said, uh, I don't know about this business and wanted to get out. You can do that. Um, there's also the idea of um, selling a, a rental home, doing a 1031 exchange, buying another rental home, but there is no limit as to how long you need to keep that as a rental home. It says a reasonable period of time. Most tax people will say two years. So say you rented that beach house out for two years and then you moved into it and lived there. Now, here's the, there are some rules about that. If you have done a 1031 exchange and you move into that property. You don't just have to live there two of five anymore. Now you have to have lived there five of five before you can um, sell it as a primary. But there's ways to do it. And that changes, um, that, that, those, those years and dates can change tomorrow, right? They can change the tax code. Understanding what you can and can't do with your tax guy is the first question to ask and then having your real estate person 
thoughtful enough to help you ask those questions is the other piece, right? So uh, I don't want to give tax advice. I can't. I'm a real estate agent. So call your tax guy. That's, that's a real good thing to do. I don't want to give legal advice. Call your lawyer. What I do want to do is give you sound property management advice. I want to give you sound real estate sales advice. And those are things that you can do. So just because you're, you own a piece of property in one way doesn't mean you can't change the way you own that in the future, but you may have some restrictions on how you do that. So you, you may, and there may be some real benefits to holding something one way and not another way. I mean, that's the one thing people forget is when they take title, they're very cavalier about the way they take title to homes. It's the biggest investment you've ever had. And you take title just because, well, I heard everybody else is joint tenants, so I think I'll do that. Well, maybe there's a reason to have it in an LLC. Maybe there was a reason to put it in your trust name. Maybe there was a reason to um, uh, to hold it as uh, tenants in common because you, you're you not sure if you want to be in business with this person forever and you want to be able to sell your half out. I don't know, but... They're, people are very cavalier about the way they take title. Even though, if you've ever sat at a closing, there's like a three-page thing the title company gives you that says, we don't give you legal advice, and uh, the way you hold title has huge effects on your, uh, you know, the uh, value of your property and what you can do with it, and blah, blah. And people go, uh-huh. They're mm-hmm. like, sign. So, Where do I sign? It's like yeah. the Apple terms and conditions. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Except. <laughs> So oh, to scroll first, though. Scroll I didn't all the way to know the that you could use that. To, yeah, right. oh yeah, that you, you could have access. That you could have access to. Yeah, and then you just gave it to you know free as easy. Yeah, there, there's ways to do exchange. There are different ways to do exchange. The the common interest, the common, the most common way is to sell something, buy something of equal and greater value, and then move up. It's a move up tool. That's what it was intended for. Yeah. So it sounds a lot like, um, in summary, property managers can utilize 1031 exchanges even if they they themselves are not involved in the buying and selling of properties by helping their existing owner clients or investor clients to get more properties without that much you know money out. Or get a better property. Or get better, like up basically to upgrade their door upgrade, doors yeah. and number of doors. Number of doors, upgrade. Uh, look, you can also upgrade your, your, your service to your client by at least giving them the information that's important to them. It may not translate into something today, but I guarantee you those seeds you sow will translate into bigger business later on. Um, that client has a friend who's thinking about buying something and he, and he has another property management company and he says, your property manager doesn't call you and tell you about things that are going on. They don't send you a newsletter. They don't give you a pick up the phone. You know, my guy helped me, uh, uh, turn my fourplex into an uh, aplex last year. It was the best deal I ever did. Well, I don't want this guy over here. And I want your guy. So just by providing those services, you're not just helping that one customer, you're, you're gaining customers later. We gotta stop being secret agents. We gotta go out there and help our clients. They, they've hired us because they don't know what to do. If they knew how to do what we would do and they had the time to do it, why would they continue to pay you? 
go out there and tell them, give them something that, that will ultimately help them because I guarantee it will ultimately increase your business without a doubt. Never 100%. I am willing to give you a hundred percent. You can have the price of this podcast back if that doesn't work for you. I, well, I think the favorite, my favorite thing that you said was just, I mean, kind of in summary of what you, you just said, it's like, stop, stop looking at your bottom line and look at your client's bottom line. Cause that's going to give you the most returns oh, in the doubt. long run. Without a doubt. Like that's so smart. You're, and the other thing is don't discount yourself. You are a very smart, intelligent property manager. You, you research it, you know, the law you know how to manage property. You know what a good property looks like and what a bad property looks like. You know what a good tenant looks like and a troublesome tenant looks like. You know what a, uh, a neighborhood is is on the rise and what a neighborhood is falling off. You, you know about the businesses that are coming and going out of here. Why aren't you telling your clients these things? They need to know this stuff. And they trust, well, they may not even expect you to do it. I love doing stuff that my clients didn't expect. Yeah. Right. So, um, just baby steps, reach out to a client, reach out to your best client first, reach out to the one, you know, that you can call and they're never, they're going to be just happy as pie. Even the one, you know, doesn't want to buy anything or exchange their property. Try out your little spiel about things that are going on and, just see what happens because what may end up happening is that person talks to a friend and that friend says, Hey, I want you to manage my property. If nothing else, if you didn't get involved in the exchange, you didn't get involved with the buyer. So you just got a new door because they, you reached out and talked. And the more you do it, the better you'll be at it. The better you get at it, the more you'll do it. And eventually the more it will do stuff for you. your clients will appreciate it. They'll tell their friends, their family. And that's really what it is. Everybody. And I know this is four and a half is a, is an internet, right? Uh, based marketing company, right? And you got to do that stuff, but you know what you also have to do? Got to talk to people and you gotta, you gotta meet them face to face. You gotta call them on the phone and you gotta actually have a relationship with them offline and then use four and a half stuff to market your company to them. And then, you know, hey, by the way, did you see that podcast? I, I saw that. I'd done this before, totally unrelated to real estate. I'm talking with somebody. They're really into bird dogs. I'm like, I got a friend that does podcasts on hunting dogs. Would you ever wanted to? It's, it cost me nothing to send that person a bird dog podcast, which I didn't watch because I don't care about bird dog. <laughs> I, I like, yeah. you know, but I saw it. I, I'm interested in hunting a little bit, so I do it. I send it over. What, how much, how much, um, I don't um, revenue can be generated from goodwill. It's hard to, hard to put a number on that, but it, I think it's a lot. I think it's a lot. And so, and helping your neighbor, help the property manager down the street when they ask. Look, if all, the high tide raises all ships, if if they're better in town, you're bet everybody's better for it. Uh, if they're if they're awful scumbag, some people think, well, I got the scumbag down the street, and that'll make me look better. I don't know if it does. 
you get enough of that, people start saying, I don't want to live in that town. I heard the property managers there are bad. You know, or buy or, yeah, yeah, there. Yeah. yeah. So help, help, help me help you. No. Uh, was that uh, Jerry Maguire? Um, yes. No. <laughs> Act no. it out. Let's do it. <laughs> Show me the money. Yeah. So. No. Nah. No, this was, this was fantastic. I well, feel like, you. yeah, thank you so much. You're very um, educational, and I feel like we learned so much. Well, I'll bring a blackboard next time. Yeah, we'll get, or we'll, we'll just swap. <laughs> we'll swap seats, and you can. You couldn't read my writing, though. That would be the. Oh, problem. that's the that's the best though. When it's just squiggles. You're like, well, oh, it's yeah. like I remember having to write on the chalkboard when I was a kid, and I would, and the teacher would get mad at me because it would be like the same height that it would if I was writing on college rule paper. I'm supposed to be showing it to the class. I'm like. I don't want anyone to see this. See, I'm left-handed, so it just wipes. You me. wipe it all. <laughs> I just out. wipe it everywhere. Okay. Yeah, thanks. I know. That's fine. I I'll wanted a left-handed kid. I wanted a pitcher. I wanted a left-handed pitcher. I didn't get it. There's still time. There's still time, Eric. Um, <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not. I want to be old enough. I want to be able to pick them up. I don't want to be so old I can't bend over and pick up the child. Yeah, well, thank you so much for making time to be our guest today for this podcast. Coming to our office. Yeah. Oh, Oh, this is a treat in itself. This is if you haven't been to the office, it's pretty nice. Yeah. So to our listeners, we hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any questions about 1031 exchanges, the expert is over here, Um, Eric and Eric. Your boy Eric. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Feel free to call me. (laughs) 